0: You are listening to the Meaningful Life with George Haas podcast. For more information, please visit metagroup.org. That's M-E-T-T-A-G-R-O-U-P dot O-R-G. This is the first day of the uh, Meaningful Life Winter Retreat. Welcome, everybody. Uh, Let's begin by taking the precepts. Uh, I'll say, I'll say. We can do a call and response. I undertake the precept of not harming living beings. I undertake the precept of not harming living beings. I undertake the precept of not taking what is not freely offered. I understand the precept of not taking what is not freely offered. I undertake the precept of why sexuality. I undertake the precept of why sexuality which, as you all know, and my grandmother would say, no (laughs) hanky-panky on the retreat. (laughs) (laughs) I undertake the precept of using right speech. I undertake the precept of using right speech. And I undertake the precept of not using intoxicants. I undertake the precept of not using intoxicants. So welcome everybody. So uh, I feel so excited to be here with you all. It's wonderful that you've come. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, practicing. Um, So with duration sitting, the idea is to sit through a lot of the the hindrances that typically come up and to see in sitting through them that they're not substantial. So it's a four hour period of sitting which you can do as one sit if you want to. We also will ring the bell every hour. Um, we ask people not to come in and out of the meditation hall except at the at the hour. So we'll begin at 2.30 and then the bell will ring at 3.30 and you can come and go at that time. You're free to leave whenever you want but you can only enter at those, those times. Um, it's, people do it in a lot of different ways. You could sit for two hours and then do walking for an hour and then come back and sit for an hour. You could alternate sitting and walking if you wanted to. Some people come in and sit as long as they can and then they leave and then they come back at the next hour and sit as long as they can and then leave and come back. So however you want to work with it. I will be sitting for the full four hours each day. mostly as a power of example to, to demonstrate <laughs> that you can actually sit for four hours and, and not expire. Um. <laughs> um. You'll be given instructions, so in a metta practice we're practicing metta all day long um, and we'll, we'll move through the different categories that you're suggested to work with. I teach a metta-vipassana, and so um, what we're focusing on is the mind state of metta itself. It's very useful to begin to be able to track a mind state, and, and that becomes an extremely useful vipassana practice. But in the, in the metta side of it, we're really attempting to develop a highly concentrated state and make the mind really kind. One of the things that, if you've been on Vipassana retreats, uh, you may notice is that the mind on the, the first day or two is kind of sleepy, and then uh, if you, you're used to being um, plagued by uh, self-criticism and harsh self-talk, that tends to ramp up. The reason that I like to teach in a vipassana format is because the first few days of doing metta tends to arrest that, So that when you move into Vipassana, you're not faced with the the terribly critical mind that a lot of us have when we begin our practice or until we've really uprooted that. Um, I think that if if you're here for the whole 10 days, you'll notice in the rhythm of a metta-vipassana retreat that the mind gets very concentrated during the metta practice. And then when you slide into the Vipassana side, it's much, much easier to do that. Um, <clears throat> what else can I tell you? Um, it is recommended that you do as much of the schedule as you can, but everything on the schedule is at the same time optional. So it would be uh, wonderful to see you do everything on the schedule uh, and that would be what I would recommend. Mm-hmm. Could you maybe um, talk about walking periods and... Okay. In, because we're beginning with metta, the walking um, metta is really more like a stroll. um, Some of you may have been given instructions in the Vipassana side of walking meditation which is really a concentration based thing and so you slow down uh, the movement. The reason that you do that on the vipassana side of the things is because you want to slow down the the um, the movement so that if you're not fully present for it, you lose your balance. So um, that is the feedback that tells you that you're being completely mindful with your walking meditation because you've slowed it, the movement down so much that if you're If you space out even for a minute, you tend to lose your balance and so you have immediate feedback that you've gotten spaced out. In the metta walking meditation, we don't uh, focus on that. It's an easy uh, light and uh, if you were to watch the Sayadaw do it, brisk, paced uh, walking. Um, And you are focusing outward in the walking period. It's important to understand metta practice as a concentrative practice and also as an expansive practice. The walking meditation is meant to be expansive. So when you're doing walking meditation, it's eyes open and you're focused outward. But you're focused on the group of all sentient beings, which is an expansive outward direction, So if you're doing walking metta meditation and you encounter other people, you don't want to allow the mind to contract around an individual person. You want to keep it open to all sentient beings. So you'll notice that you're, there's no acknowledgement of any individuals when you're doing walking metta in in this way, because you're not ever allowing the mind to contract uh, smaller than the group of everybody, all sentient beings. Is that making sense? <coughs> so when you're doing the walking meditation, it is a, a counterbalance to the highly concentrated uh, practice around individuals, and it's effusive and open, and the energy is outwardly directed, and so you're just walking briskly, uh, eyes up and out, <coughs> and at the same time repeating your <coughs> metaphrases. Um, The phrase uh, for uh, metta when you're doing it in this way is always pretty clipped and so may all beings be peaceful would be the the recommended phrase. May all beings be peaceful. Um, When you're doing the practice for yourself or someone else, it's just may I be peaceful or may you be peaceful. Short. Um, You want to in the beginning of metapractice, practice, notice that there is a mind state that is, that is a kind view or creates a kind view of self and world, and you want to be able to recognize the physical sensation of that inside the head is where mind states are. Um, if you haven't ever been asked to actually identify the physical sensation of a particular mind state, Uh, this may be puzzling. And so don't be discouraged by this, but uh, uh, excited by the possibility that you can find the physical sensation that corresponds with the mind state, and you can make the physical sensation the object of meditation. So the beginning of, of metta in this way of practicing is around identifying the mind state of kindness and what the actual sensation of the mind state of kindness feels like. When you move into kind of the middle of the practice, it's about being able to generate the mind state and sustain it as long as you want to. And then as the practice deepens, and uh, the reason I'm talking about this is is it's related to the walking meditation, you want to begin to see how the um, holding a particular mind state changes the perception of self and world. So when you're doing walking meditation with your eyes open, holding the mind state of loving-kindness, you want to notice how it distorts the perception of the world. Um, One of the things that's very hard to do is to really identify how mind states affect the view of things. And uh, so it isn't always that you want uh, a totally equanimous mind in, in, in in uh, metta vipassana practice, you're intentionally causing the mind to hold a view that is distorting, and you want to be able to explore how the mind, uh, when you when you hold a mind state that is not perfect equanimity, how it changes the experience of the world. That's the purpose of the, the walking meditation in um, <clears> that. Then, of course, once you recognize a mind state and you begin to recognize how mind states distort things, you can begin to recognize other mind states and see the pattern of distortion of other mind states. So, you know, anger or sadness or joy, any of the mind states that arise all affect view. And so we're beginning uh, this process of investigating this. Uh, on the meta side, with a particular mind state, and then when we move to the vipassana side, we have the skill of identifying mind states and exploring how it affects uh, perception of self and world. Is that making sense? Why you would want to do it? Also, um, it's very useful to be able to control uh, the the mind state that are, that you experience things through. And so we'll work to develop a short list of people that are reliable in causing the mind state of loving kindness to arise in the mind. So that when you're out in the world and you notice anger arising, metta is the, the direct antidote to anger, you can intentionally think of somebody who changes the mind state to one of kindness, so that you begin to have real agency in the kind of mind states that you allow. If you don't recognize that mind states are present and the distorting features that mind, mind states can cause, you tend to be subject to the distortions, and then you create karma through your actions because you uh, can uh, misunderstand the distorted view as something that isn't distorted, and it affects the choices that you make. What water, Asked the fish, is the first stage of practice. And then the second stage is, OMG, there's water. (laughs) 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 Oh my god, there's water. And then the third stage of practice is where you, you learn to swim with the currents of water. And so that's really what we're talking about here. You want to be able to detect that there's mind-states and that depending on the mind-state it affects how you perceive things. Uh, The second is you want to have agency in creating whichever mind-state you want. Uh, And then the third is you really want this exploration of how mind-states affect the perception of self and world so that when you uh, view self and world, you you know what mind-state is present. Is that making sense? The thing about metta that's lovely in, in exploring it in this way is that you're also training yourself to be able to, to generate a, a kind view of, self and, of uh, self and world. In Buddhism, world always means other people. Um, it's, it is such a useful tool to be able to generate a kind view of everyone else whenever you need it, because it's so easy to develop a different kind of view and so much suffering that comes from the perception of other people as difficult or unwanted. I'll give more detailed instructions in in the morning about how to practice. I'm going to guess that most of you are not going to be practicing late into the night tonight, if I'm correct. I also like to talk about attachment as a view, so we will talk some, somewhat about attachment. One of the things that's interesting about attachment view is that we've had it so long and, it, and it's so completely distorting that to begin to be able to recognize when it's happening is really a very uh, quick path to a kind of freedom that you may not have known before. That you can recognize uh, um, how the, the, your actual conditioning creates this perception of the world <clears throat> and this creates this perception of yourself, which can be very limiting. You don't see what's actually there and you act from this reference of your conditioning. The reason that I like to talk about attachment is because it's these very specific descriptions of view, and if you can begin to recognize them, then you you have this deeper insight into the function of view, and that uh, leads you to uh, liberation. I would say that the goal of of our practice should be uh, ultimately. Uh, enlightenment or liberation, that that's the the long goal. Um, But we need to practice in a way that removes the impediments so that we can pursue that goal and often our attachment experience is one that interferes with that. And so it can be very useful to identify that. Also the challenges of practice um, are um, better overcome if you have a community of people who also practice, and if your attachment uh, disturbances have affected your ability to form uh, supportive, meaningful relationships, then that really is something that needs to happen in order for you to pursue the, the long goal of practice. And I think that um, <clears throat> the thing that I notice about uh, Using attachment descriptions of view as a way of in, in teaching about view is that people recognize them much quicker than they do the more uh, poetic descriptions of view that come from the traditional descriptions. Uh, how's that? Good enough. Do. You have some announcements to um, explain to them um, what yogi notes are meant for. Okay. So, um, noble silence means no direct or indirect communication with <coughs> anyone else here. So, no eye contact, no smiling, no anything. Um, But you may have questions about practice that you want to communicate. Uh, (laughs) Do you have one? You can come see me. (laughs) Um, So we have yogi notes. Yogi notes are meant to be addressed to me or to... uh, uh, Gigi or Blake, and then we'll answer them back. Where are the yogi notes going to be posted? Um, where the salad was. Okay. Also, it's appreciated that if you have concerns about the food or the kitchen or that sort of thing also that they're addressed in the yogi notes and that we don't have a million people individually addressing the staff. It's Please much e- do not address the staff. <laughs> it's much easier for I'll address the staff for you. To coordinate it that way, and then also you don't have to fret you'll notice that somebody's taking care of that. Um, all notes will be answered within 24 hours, so that's the cycle of notes. Um, and then sometimes I'll address the notes, and if I think it's a good question and that it might be of general interest, I can... There are no bad questions. There are only bad answers. <laughs> one of the great existential jokes, you know. Um, There are no questions because there are no answers. Mm. Or there are no answers because there are no questions. Um, What else can I tell you? You may notice the first day or two of retreat, you tend to be sleepy. <clears throat> Most of us come uh, from a stressed, uh, sleep-deprived life, and so the, the body-mind may naturally seek to sleep. So you might, if you want to sleep, uh, add a couple of hours of napping during the day, that's useful. If it goes beyond the first uh, couple of days of the retreat, then you should push against it and not do that. A lot of sleepiness um, can be addressed by posture. Um, So one of the things about sleepiness is it tends to be not enough core energy in the posture. So if you're sitting on a cushion or you're sitting in a chair or whatnot, you want to increase uh, the tension in the core of the body if you're sleepy. One of the ways to do it, I know, is to just lift your hand up. So lift your hands up a couple of inches off the lap, which will bring more energy into the body and also gives you a warning system when you're getting caught up in sleepiness because your hands tend to drop. Uh, the mudra, which is the left hand on the bottom, the right hand on the top of the thumbs touching, is also, uh, takes more energy. And also when you tend to get caught up in thinking, you tend to lose the thumbs touching. So it's, it's one of the ways to moderate that core tension. You don't want to put so much tension into the core, though, that the mind gets restless. So there's this back and forth between too little and sleepiness, and too much, and the mind is restless. So it's a middle, middle ground. (coughs) Shinzen often gives the uh, instruction that the body is totally relaxed, and, um, and I have found that that Too much relaxation makes the mind sleepy. You want to have a bright mind so it's present for the the practice that you're doing. But tomorrow, uh, and maybe even the day after that, you may notice a little bit of extra sleepiness. So if that's the case, it's the straightening up and lifting the hands. If that doesn't work, you can open the eyes. That tends to put more energy in. You can stand or do walking meditation to energize the practice. We will have a Q&A every other night, (coughs) otherwise it's just sitting. Um, We don't want to have so much talking and engaging in in the intellectual side of practice that you're not able to go uh, deeply into your practice. So um, in order to have a period of practice in the evening that's not uh, dominated by talking, the Q&A is spread out every other night. Um, I think that we'll probably start it tomorrow night with Q&A and then alternate from there. Uh, I'll, I'll work it backwards. We want to end with Q&A on the last night of the retreat. And so, If you have questions on practice and, and uh, you can hold it until the evening time, then you can get, every other day you can get them answered. Um, it's useful to really engage in the exploration of the, of the techniques that are being offered so that you really come from a place of inquiry that is practiced, not uh, an intellectual engagement of what if, which I don't usually find helpful. So really explore and then if something comes up, uh, we can explore it in the Q&A or through notes. Um, We are really here to support you uh, in Exactly the right way that you each need to be supported in your practice And so please feel very free about expressing what you need to us so that we can actually Meet your needs in in the best way possible that we really are just here to do that. We're not You are not expected to uh, meet our demands, where it's actually quite the reverse. We're here to support you in your practice. Um, children are not expected to be in noble silence. Um, they're expected to be a source of uh, ongoing happiness. <laughs> 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 so that's what's going to happen. So. Uh, um, enjoy the, the uh, activity of that. Anything else? Any questions? Mm Mm-hmm. Does it matter where we do the walking meditation? It doesn't. Um, some people, um, like to have like a track that, and then, then they just go back and forth. In Myanmar, uh, at the, <clears throat> the retreat center, there's a track that runs through the woods around the center. It takes about 20 minutes to do uh, a round of walking meditation in metta and it takes about four hours to do the same track in Vipassana meditation. Oh. it's you're you're moving. Uh, in some sense, you're in the energy of the of the world of of the kindness of the world. Uh-huh. Do you stop to so again from on your track, or do you just keep going? Um, I often find that, that uh, I'll be struck by the view of the world and I'll stop and soak in <clears throat> um, it's uh, also hilly there so on one track up I sometimes get winded so, but you know there's a field back there that would be wonderful to walk in there's a path that goes up that would be lovely to walk on, I think. And walk around the pool. <laughs> 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 you didn't notice there was a shamrock shaped pool over there. That's why we came. Right? <laughs> <clears throat> George? Um, we're going to have a schedule that. Um, We don't have many yogi jobs, but we do have sit leaders as part of uh, what we do. (coughs) Excuse me, as our yogi jobs, would you explain the role of a sit leader? Uh, So, if you haven't done a sit leader before and you want to sign up for it, it just means that you sit in this chair and. Been assigned. (laughs) uh, Been assigned, and then you ring the bell. (coughs) So. I, I grew up in Shinzhen's world and Shenzhen b- rings the bell three times to begin and once to stop the, the sit. Um, uh, but uh, it, I've sat with people who do the opposite. They ring once to begin and three times to end or they don't um, um, ring the bell at the beginning, they only ring it at the end. I find uh, for myself that the constant coming and going uh, during periods of sitting is distracting to the other people in in the room. So if you could come in at the beginning of the sit within five minutes of when the sit is supposed to begin uh, and then not come in and out uh, during the the sitting period, that that would be better. Um, You can leave any time, you just can't come back in except at the, the time period. Most of the sitting, most of the periods of meditation on our schedule is going to be an hour. So, uh, I am a, yeah, just a real hardcore duration sitting kind of guy. <laughs> see if you can't do at least one, one four hours. Sit, work up to it, uh, and see if you can't sit through it because it, it, it is amazing. I think uh, just to watch how a lot of the things that seem impenetrable in the mind actually dissolve as you sit through this. That's one of the advantages of it. Something else? Um. No, I think we've covered it. Maybe the only time to use computer and check email and that stuff which can be viewed by other yogis is during the period uh, after dinner. When you're, uh, people are talking, the rest of the time, um, please don't be visible using any electronics. It's too it's too uh, distracting, and <clears throat> we don't want you to be engaged uh, in the outside world. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Did you say that there was going to be like a bell at five to wake us up? There is going to be a bell. We're hoping somebody is. We are hoping <clears throat> somebody is going to raise their hand to volunteer to be the 5 AM bell, bell ringer. The joy of, of sitting in the cold is you can always put more on. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. right. Debbie has a question oh, about okay. What about reading? Um, so, it's an inti- so we're back to the discussion of noble silence. <clears throat> um, in the Theravada tradition, noble silence would mean no reading, no journaling, no anything. Um, in the Tibetan world, there's no restriction at all. So, uh, I, my main teacher for the last 20 years or so has been Shin Zen, and he's done this kind of mashup of, of all of the different traditions, so there's never been any restriction on reading or writing. Um, And so that (laughs) tends to be where I go. But I think it's worth doing a a, a personal exploration to see whether that uh, affects the quality of your practice periods. Is it distracting from the ability to develop concentration in practice or does it have no effect? I've often found for myself that those kinds of things engage the part of the mind that would distract me. And then they're satisfied, and I can do deeper practice with that part of the mind occupied with something. So um, There's no restriction, um, but I would explore and see how it actually affects the practice. On Dan Brown's retreat, they do 47 20-minute periods of meditation over the course of the week. And then on the last day, they do long periods, an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, what does that look like on like a daily basis? <clears throat> so, I guess that's six by 48, so six periods of 20 minutes of sitting. Six periods. So, and they do a strong determination sit, so no movement, total high energy focus on a particular insight each meditation is different. There are 47 completely different guided meditations. Um, And then these long periods where you do the whole technique together after you've pieced it out into these little pieces. (coughs) Um, I've been practicing uh, Vipassana for Twenty years or longer, and and I find it to be a totally useful way of practicing. So, I like the longer periods of sitting and the and the, the, the less complex <laughs> techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where would I find it, um, additional chairs? Think that uh, it's a it's a teaching possibility that uh, um, people um, don't necessarily. Uh, have a uh, experience of of vegan uh, eating as a possibility for a balanced nutritional way of being in the world. Um, I think that the 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 factory farming and all of that is is causing harm and that we're here uh, practicing non-harming. It is um, no better and and no less suffering for animals to be brought through the process of factory dairy making than it is for uh, meat consumption. I think that as a species we are going to cause our own extinction because of our need for cheap hamburgers. And I'm not even being facetious, the the climate change, the deforestation, deforestation, the, the the terrible health consequences of the the way that our diet is organized is something that needs to be addressed <clears throat> um, but mostly what I'm interested in is is the uh, possibility of understanding that uh, that is an actual vi- viable means of, of being in the world, really, it's about how are we going to be in the world. <clears throat> um, so, the uh, we could talk about the nature of corruption and, and misinformation and all of the other stuff that happens. Um, When I was a child, they had the food pyramid. And meat and dairy were the top of the food pyramid. This has nothing to do with human health, but it has to do with uh, political corruption and lobbying. Um, I am... You know, old age, sickness, and death, we are all going to age, and depending on how we... Cared for the body is going to be an issue of aging. Um, and in moving myself from a ve- from a vegetarian diet, I've been largely vegetarian for fifty years. To a vegan diet, my I have an issue with blood pressure. My blood pressure came down ten points just on on shift, that shift, not doing anything else. Um, <clears throat> So I think it's an it's an interesting way to begin to explore uh, um, this process of being in in the world. Um, what else about it? Um, so. it's a, an advocate. Hmm. Oreos? Yeah, they're vegan. They're vegan. (coughs) (laughs) Um, uh, What I think can come up with uh, with uh, the kind of diet that's offered on retreat is a lot of craving for the things that uh, are conditioned comfort responses. Um, you know, I like to say cheese is crack. (laughs) There's a reason cheese is crack though, Uh, cow, cow's milk has nine times the casein is what it's called, than human milk has. And when you make it into cheese it's like 18 times and it has a sort of narcotic effect. begin to notice the, <clears throat> the way that you use and relate to food as a means of uh, emotional regulation. And then also, which is linked so much to your conditioning around how uh, uh, you were, uh, how your early relational con- conditioning around food and that kind of uh, experience with your care- primary caregivers is also interesting to notice. That when <coughs> things come up in the practice, and the mind turns toward the use of food as a means of regulating what it, it then is something that's very useful to explore. What, uh, Particularly in practicing metta, you may notice that you get quite blissed out from the practice, quite happy.